0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: What is up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the K Golasso podcast. I, Jimmy Conrad, am filling in for Luis Miguel Echegaray. It's a very special Serie A edition with two of my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> And I'm talking about Matteo Bonetti and Marco Messina. Guys, first and foremost, and Matteo, I'm going to start with you. You guys are absolutely crushing it with the Serie A coverage on Paramount+. Plus. Talk to me a little bit about it, Matteo.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. And we've been doing this now for, I think, nine seasons where I'm basically like following around the city uh, rights wherever they go in the United States. And this is the first time where I feel like the league has been given the justice that it deserves in terms of the quality of the studio shows around it, the way that they're putting so much attention and detail into the coverage and they're letting the personality shine. Like, that's what Calcio and Cappuccino is all about. It's not scripted. You know, there's not like hard outs. There's not producers talking in your ear the entire time saying you got to wrap it up because we got to go to commercial. If it's a good segment, we go along. We have great conversations. We have, you know, surprises throughout every single show, like someone coming out and singing opera and pizza coming on set. So it's been such a blast. And I feel like it's easily the most fun I've ever had in my career on television.
1: No, and I'm excited you're a part of it. Now, my only criticism, and I'm looking at Marco when I'm saying this, okay. is I, I need more chest hair from you. I, you know, I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like you've got a nice Brillo pad of hair underneath that. He, he just shaved. He just shaved. That's, that's
2: false. He just no, shaved. But,
1: tell me about your your experience, Marco, as well. It's very exciting to see you get the opportunity.
3: No, it, honestly it's been unbelievable. And I feel super blessed to have uh gotten into this position and to work with uh people like Matteo. And I know, you know, we, we go at it on, on the set and it's a lot of fun between uh Grella, Giuseppe Rossi, Kate, and all of us uh over there, but it's really unbelievable. And and like Mateo said, I grew up as this Serie A fan in this country. And let alone to watch the game used to be the thing that we're excited for. Like, oh my God, we're able to watch the game clearly. And now we're taking it to a level that's just truly unbelievable. And I'm so proud to be on the forefront of it. Uh, So it's a really fun experience and I can't wait for what's about to come.
1: No, it's going to be amazing. I think this this season in particular is really setting up to be, well, it already is super wide open and we'll see how it all plays out. Now, just to throw it out there, everybody, I'm of Danish descent. So I feel like... I am the biggest Calcio fan since Gorn Eriksson from that region <laughs> of the world. So I, I'm excited. That was my bad joke. I don't even think I said it right, but I did my very best. I love Calcio. I love Serie A, and I want to get into it with you two in particular, and we're going to start with Juventus because after winning nine straight Scudettos, they lost the title to Inter Milan last season. Andrea Pirlo in his one season in charge did win a few trophies, but not the league overall. And now... They welcome back Allegri, Maxi Allegri, back into the fold after he helped them win five consecutive Scudettos. Now he's back, but he's inherited a different problem than when he first inherited it back from Antonio Conte all those years ago. What's going on with Juve right now, even though they just notched their first win of the season, 3-2 over Spezia? They were down 2-1 in this game, but they somehow found a way to get back into it. What's going on with them? Matteo, I'll start with you.
2: What's going on is that it doesn't really matter who the manager is, and I feel almost silly for having put blame on Maurizio Sarri and then Andrea Pirlo and all the different managers that they've had now for four consecutive seasons. If your midfield is average, you're probably not going to play the style of football that Juventini are expecting. Let's rewind the clock back to the last time Max Allegri was in charge, to those earlier years, even before that with Marquisio, Pirlo, Pogba, Vidal, players in their prime, world-class talent, and now to see Adrian Rabiot and, you know, okay, Bentoncourt and uh, Locatelli, who's been brought in for $30 but he's still young and he's their best midfielder, which tells you something. None of these midfielders that you have right now would have gotten a minute when they were playing in the mid-2010s. Tell me which of these midfielders would have started. They would have gotten off the bench maybe limited minutes in extra time. That is it. So with no identity for the last three or four years, with coaching changes every single season, Allegri's basically come back to a team that he doesn't even recognize because this is a very different team than the one that he left behind four years ago or whatever it was. Yeah, so
1: I'm going to move this over to you, Marco. Do you feel like the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo derailed the Juventus that I think everybody knew for a long time? Because they were really financially intelligent with how they were spending money and the players they would end up selling, Paul Pogba in particular – and then they kind of went against script and paid a lot of money for an aging superstar who obviously scored the goals and did what he did. But I think it really derailed what Juve was known for and, and also had to force them to build around this personality that didn't necessarily lend itself to winning the ultimate trophy, which was they were going for was the Champions League.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that I know even Fabrizio had brought up that Juve's financial situation wasn't that bad. And then COVID hit and it really started derailing from that. And I know he said on multiple occasions that Pogba well, you know, Juventus were looking to bring Pogba back before COVID hit, and that really ruined uh, you know, Juventus and the rest of the team. I think that, you know, in terms of you're your saying the style, that they were buying players for cheap and then selling them a lot, that was Marotta. Marotta. You know, uh, Giuseppe Marotta from Inter that, that's there now, he was the guy that was the genius behind all of those moves and all of those transfers, and he did not want Ronaldo at Juventus. He did not want him. Him and Paratici, they got into an argument, and that's really what led to the downfall. Uh, You know, it was, it was an idea that we heard. It was a rumor that, oh, this is the reason why he decided to start leaving. And I think you could really see that he was the genius behind building this team that went on to win nine in a row. And obviously, there were multiple parts to it. You could say Antonio Conte for sure. But if you look at Inter, even now, who lost – Conte, Lukaku, and Hakimi, and they're still in a solid position to go on and win the Scudetto. It's because they got that guy upstairs that still has kept everything under the wraps. So I think it's a few different problems. Mm -hmm. But yes, I I think that, you know, with the Ronaldo and the COVID situation, the finances uh, were a mess. And then all these free transfers, which everyone thinks are free, but then you end up spending so much in wages and don't get actually qualified players. In the midfield and in other positions that end up screwing you up.
2: Marco, Mar- t- tell the people what Juventus had to do to get Cristiano Ronaldo because it's like they went to Fiat. They're like, "You're gonna have to sell a million Fiat Punto just to be able to sign Ronaldo." Forget <laughs> the advertising like, for
3: Ferrari. Forget
2: the F1 division. Forget the, you know the drivers. Forget them all. Okay, sell one of those F1 Scuderia cars. We have to get money from all these different places just to make it work. Obviously, I'm being a little bit facetious yeah. here, but that's kind of what happened where they had to get like all these different people on. Board. Board to spend money that we have just not seen in Syria. So at the end of the day, Jimmy, it didn't really pay off. Yes, they got fans. They say they got 150 million more okay. fans, but are those fans still here now? Were they mm-hmm. just there because Cristiano Ronaldo? And are they now Manchester United fans?
3: Now, because you No, know, that, that part, I don't know. I don't know. I think that everyone wants to see it as such a negative thing with Ronaldo, but I'll give you an example. I have a, a, a nephew, right? Who would never like uh football soccer culture whatever you want to call it he became a juventus fan because of ronaldo and i got confirmation on monday night we we're out at pizza he's staying a juventus fan he came in with
2: ronaldo okay and sorry it's, it's worth it now little little jimmy from brooklyn's all fans so it's all good all the money was no, totally no, worth it one.
3: But if you watch, if you watch the marketing that Juventus has had and, you know, just as a brand, how they've expanded the marketability that he's been, I've seen it just being firsthand in New York. I never saw Juventus jersey when I was a kid. I barely saw it. Only if you were Italian and in certain areas and I'm in the most Italian neighborhood in New York or even in the East Coast. Now I was seeing it so much. So there's different aspects for sure. Of course, Juventus, they wanted to win. And win the, the the Champions League, but that's not how it works. If money just bought everything, and Mateo and I we, we we're fighting like this a lot, you're going to see this a lot on Calcio and Cappuccino. Uh, if money was the only thing that mattered, then it's
2: not ben the what thing. Would have, it's would it's have the major thing. Like, oh, I'm no, no, sorry. There is a correlation between money you spend and then your success in your and league, or how far you go in the Champions League. I mean, look at the Champions League finalists that we've seen. What do they have in common? Oh, Manchester City. Yeah, they can go out and spend 100 million pounds for Jack Grealish. Guess who can't do that? Milan, Inter Juventus, mm-hmm. and that's why if they go far in the Champions League, it would be a big surprise for me. Okay, and that's Actually, another debate that, by the way, you can only watch on Calcio Cappuccino. Sorry, sorry, yeah. no, I just
1: man. wanted to say I feel like Juventus lost fans when they changed their logo from their kick-ass black and white logo to that the double J thing. That was <laughs> right? you're not a fan of that. You didn't? No, like the I'm clearly J. not. A, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it's it, it's not as bad as it once was for me. I've gotten used to it, but uh, I miss the old crest. Now, talk to me about Allegri because. He took over for an Antonio Conte team, like you said before, that could pretty much coach themselves. I mean, they were so decorated and so much experience all the way through the team. And everybody thought, maybe a little risky, obviously coming from Milan where he had won a Scudetto, I thought quite surprisingly did a very good job with that Milan team uh, prior to taking over Juve. And he came in and did great. I mean, the guy was amazing for them. Now he's inherited a different set of problems. And as he works through this transition of the older guys getting older, not having that same type of midfield, as you mentioned, the Cristiano Ronaldo problem. But they have signed a couple players that are exciting, Chiesa in particular, that does stand out. Now, though, when I go on social media, everybody's like, Allegri's out. His his tactics That's don't right. work in the modern <laughs> game, all this type of stuff. Do you think That's Allegri's ridiculous. the guy to... to- and it, th- this is the thing with fans. They want people out, but they never have ideas about who they're going yeah, yeah. But, but,
2: but do, do these fans see who won Serie A last year? Let me just check my notes, right? Antonio Conte, a defensive <laughs> counterattacking exactly. manager. This kind of football can still work to get you Serie A titles. And in the end, Inter had the best squad, the deepest squad. Juventus don't necessarily have that anymore. But let's go back, Marco, and you'll remember this very well. The last season that Juventus had Max Allegri, where they won the Scudetto, There was so much negativity around the club. Yes, they won, but they were squeezing out these 1-0 results. They weren't playing well. And that's why they made such a drastic switch from Allegri to someone who's so anti-Juve. You know, there's this term Stile Juve, the Italian, you know, slick Manager, kind of like Max Allegri is wearing a nice suit, like fitted. And then you go to Mauricio Sarre, who's chewing on a cigarette butt and has a polo that's untucked. And he was like the complete antithesis to what Juventus normally look for in a manager, but they did that because they wanted to play good-looking football. And you see it again now, you see it against teams that are in the relegation zone. The way that Juventus, when they lose possession, they all drop back as a unit and they're happy to defend and they're happy to play a low block. And there's always going to be a set of fans that care almost as much, Jimmy, about the aesthetics as the actual results. So it right. just really depends on what side of that camp and, or argument that you're in.
1: Okay, now let's talk about, let's say, the overall mood around the team. It seems now with, the, with that win, they finally got their first win and getting out of the relegation zone. We'll probably yeah, put Spezia. a little pep, a pep in their step there, Marco. But, but what do you think the mood is, or maybe prior to this game today against Spezia, or how they're going to fight through it? Does this group have the backbone? Because we've seen Sarri... Say before that, uh, some of these players are untrainable, mm-hmm. that there is a bit of an attitude in the camp that maybe wasn't the same, uh, as, as prior Juventus teams. And then, on top of that, what do you think about the Dabala and Delict contract negotiations? Oh. Do you think they should sign? Do you think Delict is time for him to move on? I know he scored the game winner today. Give me your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, obviously when Sadi said that, uh, Juve fans just threw him under the bus and blamed Sadi. But I think he had a valid point behind him, uh, especially in terms of the football that Sadi wanted to play. They were untrainable for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for Allegri, coming into this last match, Juventus fans are on the fringe, like you're saying, uh, prisoners of the moment in a sense as well. Uh, but today they did show, and I know I, I want to preface it by it was against Spezia. They were down 2-1 at a point. And they showed the fight to come back, and I think that what I'm seeing right now is you fans are begging that this is the turning point in the season. That you know something clicks on you. You show that you're able to come back into a match that they should have you know easily had, or any other Juventus of the past years would have you know won this game easily, uh, and that this is the turning point for them in their season. Kieza uh, was phenomenal. He was so good. And Allegri threw a little bit of shade at him in their last match saying that he needs to do more and he needs to grow. And I think this was one of the moments where your fans were looking at him like, this is our leader. This is the guy. Um, in terms of the the contract extensions, I know, you know, I don't know any information about that. I know that Fabrizio Romano spoke about it, that De Ligt could be on the market with this 150 million clause. De Ligt was also fantastic and he scored the game winner. I think that De Ligt, just like Ronaldo, kind of wants to see what's the project that's going to be around this. It will depend on what Juventus is competitive enough and, and come the end of the season. But prior to that, obviously, cool. it's nonsense to talk about.
2: Yeah, okay. uh, so, sorry, Jimmy, but Bonucci and Chiellini, mid 30s, they're in their twilight. They had a great Euro, but it's almost like we've seen the Bonucci and Chiellini from last season where there was a lot of people saying it's time to move on. To me, you do everything in your capabilities to keep Matthijs delict. Unless you have like this hard capping or like, right, if he asks for more money, kind of like what Milan did with Donnarumma, where it's like, we're not paying you what you think you're worth because mm-hmm. we can't get into that financial trouble, then there's really nothing that they can do. Juve lost like 210 million during the COVID era. So, that's the only way that you can say, right, he left because he priced himself out. Okay, so
1: we're going to move on to the next topic. But before I do, Juve are currently in 13th now after
2: this match day. Where do you think they're going to
1: finish? Very quickly, Mateo, I'll go to you.
2: They'll finish top four. I, I think that it'll balance itself out. I don't but think not, they're going to not win the Scudetto. No, they're not. I don't think they're going to win the Scudetto. I honestly think it's between maybe Inter, Napoli and Milan at this point. Milan may be more of an outside bet. Napoli and Inter are my two top right now. I think Juventus finished top four. I think it's going to be tight because the top seven and now I'm not. I'm now including Fiorentina in the top seven is so competitive. Okay, how about you, Marco?
3: Yeah, I have a similar, I have in third. I'll, get, I'll give you the specifics on that. I don't think that they are going to be competing for the Scudetto. I know if we had Giuseppe Rossi here, he'd be arguing with us saying it's still early and yeah, that yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we're way, we're thing. jumping to conclusions. Every
1: time I watch it on Paramount+, Plus, so it's like, it's
3: still <laughs> so early, you yeah. got this. Trust Maxi Allegri. <laughs> yeah, has so
1: this guy in the room for a reason. <laughs> I love it every time I see him going there. All right, well, speaking about one of the teams, Matteo, that you brought up was AC Milan in particular. And... They just had their game against Juve 1-1 draw, which I correctly predicted here on the Kegel podcast. Thank you for having me, everybody. (laughs) And unfortunately, their goalkeeper, Mike Mignon, who I think is a fantastic signing, by the way, for for Milan to replace Donnarumma, was subject to some racial abuse. And he came out and had what I thought was a tremendous statement. And obviously, Milan has publicly backed him, as they should, privately and publicly backed him, that, hey, I'm a human being. And there's no room for that this still exists, this this racial abuse in 2021. What was your reactions to this? And Mateo, I'll start with you. And and this came from Juve fans, by the way, that he received this abuse, who, if they want to be considered a super club, and they are part of the Super League for a reason, you can't have fans, in my opinion, that 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 come down to this level to, to have this type of abusive players, which is so unnecessary for the game.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you, Jimmy. It was a... Very good statement from Mike Manyan. It's almost like, you know, what can you say when you're put into that situation there? It must be so difficult mm-hmm. as well for for Manyan to have to deal with this in his first season in Serie A. We've been talking about this very sadly now for years. Ever since we've been covering Serie A, we've had one or two of these cases every single season. And the, the thing that keeps coming back every time where it's like, right, how do we solve this? How do we solve this? We're probably not going to be able to solve systemic racism. We're... we're not even going to talk about that, right? We're talking about this incident right now in mm-hmm. Italy. To me, a state-of-the-art stadium like what Juventus has, and this happened to Moise came by the way, in Kai and I think the biggest issue that we debated was how the heck can these stadiums not have the mechanisms to identify who these idiots are mm-hmm. and to ban them for life, mm-hmm. at, at the very least. Like, it should be so easy with social media, with... You know, whether it's other fans around them, kind of like the the see something, say something or the cameras. That's all you need. You have cameras in every direction. You can pinpoint, you can zoom, you can see exactly who it was that was the culprit and you ban them for life. And this is something that wasn't happening in the past that would just drive us absolutely crazy because – that is a solution. Are you going to get rid of racism altogether? No, unfortunately, that's impossible. But you can at least start eliminating it in Syria stadiums and not having the players subjected to that in a game that's being televised all over the world. So to me, it's the mechanisms that stadiums should have in place, whether it's the technology, to quickly, quickly be able to identify who these people are. You know, a lot of these people, Jimmy, they're in the curve. These are ultras, right? If it is an ultras, it's usually the same group of people. And I'm, I'm just making an example here. The, the, the teams know who the ultras are. It shouldn't be that difficult to pinpoint exactly who this cluster of fans was in this example and send them packing. And it seems like – and I was just looking online – that they were able to identify one of the fans who actually admitted it on social media, but it shouldn't even have to be that it shouldn't be the fan who's found on social media. It should be the clubs being able to identify who's coming into the stadium and then banning them for life.
1: hundred percent. There needs to be accountability. And I think that's one of the ways there's going to have to be many, many ways to, to eradicate this problem. Now, Marco, I always kind of wonder that if you have a set of fans that is racially abusing a player on another team, how does players that actually represent Juventus that are of color respond to that, thinking, God, my, my own fans, do they even want me to be here because I just have a different pigmentation of my skin, which is ridiculous in itself? But, but, I mean, how does that? How would those players feel? Moise Ken obviously plays for Juve. He's been dealt with racial abuse in Italy before, and now he has his own set of fans at Juve, where he was before. He took his travels around the world to PSG and Everton. I mean, I always find that to be very interesting. And then second, what's the reaction around Italy? Because at some point, if you have enough people of consequence and influence to step up and say enough of this bullshit Mm -hmm. and and actually follow through on that, then I think we're going to start to see at least some more accountability inside the stadiums. What's the reaction in Italy from your perspective?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously I, I can't speak for the for the players within the club, but I can't imagine that it, you know it's such a it's such a terrible thing. I, I can't even uh, wrap my mind around how they're feeling on the on the inside. And I think that's that's something that Matteo and I we were, we were texting about. You know, I, it's always been one of the things. I, I'm happy to see that now they're saying that Juventus are identifying the 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 person that they're trying to take action from them. And I've always felt like in the past sometimes these kind of things they kind of get swept underneath the rug, right? We've seen fines, we've seen um, you know, bands or small bands. And, and I agree with Matteo. It's a lifetime ban, and that's it. Like there's no one, two mm-hmm. strikes, mm-hmm. three strikes. You're out. It's one and done because mm-hmm. then the next time, like Matteo said, you're not going to fix the problem, but at least you're not going to have those people there. And I hope, you know, the, 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 one of the, the bad consequences of this is what's the reaction. Are we going to forget about this in two weeks? Are we going to forget about this in three weeks? Or are we actually going to try to solve the problem? I know when, when I used to go to Italy, when I used to go to games, when I was younger, I used to have to get my passport to go buy a ticket. It's like right. so hard to be, be even able to get a ticket. I can never wrap my, mouth, uh, my, my mind around how do we not find the person so quickly, especially today. And even they're saying that this person you know, posted it on social media. We should easily be able to get it and do something about it because that's the next problem. The next problem is first, you know, it's bad that it's happening, but if we do nothing to – fix the problem or at least, you know, act upon it, then it's just going to keep happening over and over again, which unfortunately is something that we've seen for too long in Italy.
2: Hey, Jimmy, can I just ask you, have you ever been in that situation where one of your teammates was racially abused and how did it go down? Like, how did it go down inside the locker room? How did it affect? No,
1: good question. It it reminds me of a time we were playing in Salt Lake city uh, at the university of Utah before they built the Rio Tinto stadium. And one of my teammates uh, who I'll I'll leave nameless just, just out of you know his privacy. It should be his story to tell. So I'll, but but he was warming up behind the goal. We were playing. I was the captain of the team. And we found out after the game, after everything, he came into the locker and he looked, we 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 drew one-one. So away from home, you know, everybody's okay in the locker room. Nobody's too down and out, but he would look pretty down and out. And he we went up to him and kind of figured out what's going on, and, and it starts to spread around the locker room that somebody from the crowd threw a banana at him. And, and an empty whiskey bottle as he's warming up behind the goal. And I was irate because I didn't know what to do in that particular moment as a leader. And I didn't know what to say to him that was going to make him feel any better. I, I mean, outside, you, you know, you give the obvious comforts, but I didn't know what was that one thing that was going to bring him peace. There was nothing I could say at that particular moment. Secondly, okay, we have our, our team administrator. We let our team people know. They go tell Real Salt Lake, But we didn't see anything that happens. And I wish I have a lot of regrets with regard to the situation. One of them is I wish I'd just gone straight away to the media and said, this happened. This is bullshit. And and I can't believe this actually still happens here in this country and and really made a statement to show our public support. Now, I don't remember all the details. I'm sure we had a conversation with him about what he wanted to say. I do remember him kind of just wanting to move on from it quite quickly and maybe not trying to relive the whole thing. So my, there might have been some, some areas there of things, but I feel like I just have a regret of, I wish I would have done a little bit more to support him. And, I, and I, uh, if I have obviously the chance and learning from that experience, anytime I see that, you know, I definitely try to step up and say something. But, but yeah, I have lived through it and I couldn't believe that, that there would be a person who actually brought, uh, potentially brought a banana to throw it at a player is, is unreal. And I went to a Milan derby back in 2013 at the San Siro And there were kids that were with blown up bananas that were coming to the stadium and and amongst adults that had, and I was looking around the stadium going and it was for Mario Balotelli. I'm like, what, where am I? Dude, this is crazy. And and there just seems to be some acceptance that it's okay, that it's a cultural okay thing to do. And I, I still, I marvel at the whole, the whole situation and that that's an accepted behavior in some parts of the world. So that's my, my two cents on that. I don't even know how to transition into the next thing cuz it's so heavy talking about this, but obviously we'll keep everybody up to date. And if you have any comments or that you'd like to add to this conversation, go to the Kegolaso Pod on Twitter and hit us up. We'd love to engage with you guys about this particular subject because it should still stay on the tip of everybody's tongue as we work through eradicating racism in the game. All right, let's move on to what I consider to be the greatest rivalry in Serie A and I'm saying this because I'm a Roma supporter Roma 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 taking on Lazio Stadio Olimpico that's happening at 12 p.m. on Sunday on Paramount Plus Jose Mourinho the manager of Roma taking on Maurizio Sarri the manager of Lazio inject this managerial matchup straight into <laughs> my veins Matteo. who do you think has the edge in this one
2: It's tough to say, but maybe the slightest edge goes to Roma. I've been so impressed by some spurts of what we've seen from Jose Mourinho's Roma this season, the way that he integrates the midfield, the way that he's turned Pellegrini into maybe one of the three best midfielders in the league, getting forward, scoring goals, along with Jordan Vera too, the movement up front between the likes of Mkhitaryan and Tammy Abraham, and it's all working so fast. You know, Jimmy, Roma fans, the enthusiasm that they showed For Mourinho this summer, it's like as if they didn't care what happened in the Premier League. They didn't care that he got sacked at Tottenham and that maybe it didn't work out and maybe he lost that special uh, one je ne sais quoi, right? (laughs) That that mystique that he had when he was at Inter and he won the treble. Uh, On the other side, Maurizio Sarri isn't really coming off the best spell with Juventus, even though he won the Scudetto. It still felt like he had broken a locker room. And I know this firsthand that the, the players didn't really get along with him. There was a bit of a, a, a disconnect there. So my biggest curiosity early on the season was to see, are we going to ever get the Maurizio Sarri from his time at Napoli when everything was going right, when Sarismo was basically invented to, to the larger masses? Or is it going to be... A different kind of Maurizio Sarri. Is he still the same man-manager? Is something kind of crept in where he just doesn't have that same sort of feeling with the locker room? But we've seen some very good moments from Lazio as well. Chiro Immobile has got more than a goal a game, five goals in four matches. And the, the thing that Lazio have more than anything, Jimmy, is that quartet that attacks together that's been playing together since like twenty. 20- Mm-hmm. 16. You think of Malinkovic Savage, Luis Alberto, Ciro Immobile, and then they have the protection back from Lucas Leiva. It's a team that knows uh, who they are so well. It's a team that's really maintained that identity that that has a clear style when they get forward into the final third. So
1: what I want to add really quick while we're talking about Maurizio Sarri and Lazio and Marco, I'm going to throw this one to you, is that under Maurizio Sarri at Napoli, we had Iguain lead Serian scoring 36 goals, maybe his best ever professional season, right? So he got mm-hmm. the best out of that particular player. And then when he went to Chelsea, Eden Hazard statistically had his best ever professional season. Mm. So, and even when he went to, to Juve, Cristiano Ronaldo still scored over 30 goals. He had 33, I think that particular season. Mm-hmm. So he does push the buttons in the right way to have success, whether the players like him or not, Mateo. So, so I wonder now what's going to happen with cheer, the hero mobile, as you mentioned, He's got five of the 11 Lazio goals. They started off very, very well. And it was like, sorry, ball is in full effect. Let's <laughs> go. But after playing against Milan at the San Siro, they mm-hmm. lost 2-0. And I think they got found out a little bit there. Then they lost to Galatasaray in the Europa League. And then they just come off a 2-2 draw against uh, Cagliari. Mm-hmm. Now they're on a three-game winless streak. They're playing against uh, Torino uh, midweek. And then they got uh, Roma, of course. So what what do you think with regard to what he maybe has to do to to kind of unlock things again because it seems like he's kind of hit maybe his first bump in the road with Lazio.
3: Yeah, I think in regards to Cheeto Immobile, the guy in Serie A is always going to score. I think no matter (laughs) what coach we got, he will score goals. I know Lazio fans, they were very concerned because of the 4-3-3. They were scared if Immobile was going to do it. The guy will do it anywhere. When he's wearing the Lazio jersey, he's just unbelievable. And I think one of the exciting things also to backtrack uh, when Sadi went to Juventus was that the amount of, you know, he's great with center forwards. He's great with strikers. They always score goals, uh, uh, you know, with him. So I think that that that, uh, part, they'll be fine. I think with Lazio, we all got ahead of ourselves a little bit, as Giuseppe Rossi would say, to to our our other guy, Mike Grella, who was already saying Lazio are Scudetto favorites. They're going to go on to win the league. You know, we realized that Saribol Sarismo, it takes time. They started on a great foot. And I think it also because that this Lazio team was built for a, a manager like Sarri, considering the midfield that they had. So they were able to start off on a good front. But I don't think that this Lazio... Uh, We'll have what it takes to challenge for the league or to challenge for these big moments. But having said that, what my biggest memory of Roma Lazio is always that form. I don't want to say doesn't matter in this match, but it's a little bit to the side because no matter what happens, this is the most important match of the year in Rome. I mean, they care about this almost more than where they're going to finish on the table. Because if you live in Rome, you have the bragging rights of your family that's a Lazio fan or the other one is a Roma fan that you never want to lose this game. So no matter what, every single player leading up to this match knows what comes in at this. And oftentimes I feel like it lends itself to a draw, which is kind of my my prediction for what's going to happen. I'm on both sides because I love Mourinho. I love Sarri. I love everything that's happening in Rome. But I think it'll be a draw.
1: Okay, that's for all you betting people out there. Now, I do want to bring up two subplots. The first one is around Marco Iani, who was part of the backroom staff for Maurizio Stari and still is, uh, mm. Maurizio Stari, excuse me, when he was at Chelsea. And there was an incident in a 2-2 draw between Chelsea and Man United when Mourinho was there that basically Iani got into Mourinho's face and was like celebrating right in front of him. Mm. And it was a pretty big deal. It obviously sparked a lot of controversy. Mourinho said that he came out, you know, at some point, got an apology from Iani about it, but now they're going to face each other again for the first time since that incident. That should be a lot of fun. So Mateo, want your thoughts on that? And then also Pedro, because Pedro left Roma to join Lazio, which sounds like it should be illegal. Like how is that even possible that you can leave? It's like going from Barcelona to Real Madrid, or even though we've seen that a few times, Luis Figo, I'm looking at you. And, but, but to go straight from Roma to Lazio just seems so unacceptable in so many different ways. I don't even know if I can look at Pedro in the face anymore. I don't, I can't, I don't even know the guy. I've disowned him as a, as a yeah, no, that's.
2: Player. You know what's weird about that is that Milan and Inter, which is the other same-town rivalry, right? You have so many players in history that have gone between the two. But with Roma and Lazio, you know, spending time in Rome, you realize that it is bragging rights like what Marco said, but it's so much more than that. It's like political affiliations. It's split families. It's all sorts of heavy stuff that is intertwined in this. Like they literally live for this Roma Lazio derby that happens twice a year in Serie A it's so heated it's so intense unfortunately we've seen some really terrible things happen as well outside the stadium inside the stadium like that it's just been it's it's one of the the true the the they say calde right like the heat in the rivalry is maybe as much as any rivalry that you'll have uh, anywhere in the world as for Pedro though Makes total sense to me, Jimmy. Maurizio Sarri loves those high IQ players. It doesn't matter that he's 34 years old. He wants that player that can really run that system in the final third. Where Sarri, by the way, preaches, he wants complete organization the first 70 meters. And then the final third, the last 30, he wants complete freedom. So what better player than someone who understands the movements as well as Pedro does, does that's played for Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, that's played in some amazing size. I mean, that's the kind of experience where it's a perfect uh, mix with the youth that Lazio also have. I thought it was a very smart short-term signing for a player that's Sarri. You can understand why i would love to utilize him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's dead to me, Mateo. I don't even know what you're <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't even paying attention.
2: <laughs> All right, to every talk- other Roma fan, <laughs> <too. laughs> yeah, let's
1: Let's talk about American ownership in Serie A. There seems to be a lot of it. And then the most recent move is... Some uh, American owners getting in for $150 million on Genoa. Marco, talk to me a little bit about that. And just American owners in Italy, how are they being received by the Italian public? Because as we've seen in the English game, they're not looked upon favorably at times.
3: Yeah, no, it, it's unbelievable. And I think for the Genoa fans out there, they'll finally rejoice. As uh, Matteo knows, in every newspaper in Italy, there's just been like an ad, it, literally an ad of Preziosi, who was the owner of Genoa, just saying to leave and and to get out of here uh, just because they were so not happy with him anymore. So I think they'll finally be happy that they don't have to you know, advertise in the newspapers anymore. I think as far as ownership's, in, um, in Italy, it's pretty unbelievable from, from Serie A, Serie B, and even the lower leagues that so many Americans are getting in on this. And I've spoken to some of them, and it's just such a, a better deal financially. It's easier in to get into Italy than it is in, like, England, for example, to be able to get into a league. So I think that that's been the big push. There's been back and forth, Jimmy, at the end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's mm-hmm. Italians in Italy that I speak to that they don't like it. You know, that they say, you know, why are you coming in? The foreigner's coming in. They're just bringing the money. They only care that it's a business. And while I totally respect and understand where they're coming from, I think that, you know, it's a natural progression that kind of needs to happen. Because we've seen already that there are Italian owners who are still very stuck in the past and no longer – while they might have done well in the past – Football is different today, and you kind of need a more business mindset. But I think that there's a certain balance between the two. You can't just come in and do everything your way like it like it is in America, you know, as some sort of business. You need to respect traditions. You need to respect the culture and the fans that are there. But I think at this point, for Genoa, it's probably the better move. And from what I understand,
1: most of the American owners are respecting those traditions and the cultures and everything else that have gone with it. And the ones that won't probably won't be there very long well speaking actually of one of the american-owned teams venezia has a couple americans on their team and our very own luis miguel Echigaray got to connect with gianluca busio the american international earlier this week to talk about his new life in venice playing in Serie A, and his breakout year for the u.s men's national team if you're listening to the podcast here is a short snippet of our chat
3: and Luca, obviously, as those who know your story, there's uh, you have Italian heritage. Was that a factor in, in moving to Serie A and obviously living and, and playing in Italy?
4: Yeah, 100%. I think uh, for me I, as a kid, you know, you grow up watching, you know, the Serie A games because my, you know, my dad's Italian. So every Sunday morning we're, we're watching the games and, and, you know, we're following the league. And, you know, when you get an opportunity to... To play in something you you grew up watching, it's 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 a once in a lifetime opportunity. And you know, for me it obviously helped with the the Italian passport and you know the heritage and and you know being to Italy a couple of times growing up and, and and you know just being around it, it definitely played a part in it. So it, it was definitely was a more more of a selling point to me to to come to Italy than anywhere else.
3: Who does uh, your dad support?
4: He's an Inter Milan fan. But Okay, so he's, he's he, a happy man right now. Very happy, yes, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. listen, uh, we talked about it. um you have uh, a few Americans there tanner Tessman, obviously your your teammate he
3: joined a few weeks before you did. Is it comforting to you that you have another American around? Does that help a little bit?
4: yeah, obviously, it helps you know having somebody who, who's young, you know my age and and from the m l s too also not just American but from the m l s it it helps uh, you know it helps you settle in a lot easier. you have somebody who's you know, going through the same same problems as you and who's there with you through everything. So uh, I think, uh, you know, it helps me a lot. And also, uh, you know, I think I'm helping him. And But uh, here in Venice, I think a lot of the players speak English very well and a lot of the staff. So they made it easy and it was a smooth transition for me. All
1: right, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can catch the full interview by clicking the link in the description below. Like I said, you can catch the full interview on the K. Golasso YouTube page. Okay, welcome back, everybody. So first and foremost, I want to say we want you to use your football expertise to win big-time cash prizes, and you can do that. Your chance with football pick them from CBS Sports. We're talking about American football, everybody. So correctly pick the whole slate of games, and you can win the $100,000 jackpot this week and every week of the season by visiting cbssports.com slash picks. Even if no one wins the weekly jackpot, we're still going to give away $1,000 of guaranteed cash to the winner each week and $5,000 to the season-long champ. I'm definitely signing up for that. So don't wait. Make your picks and compete for the $100,000 jackpot by visiting cbssports.com picks today. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Golasso Podcast. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside two of my favorite Italian-Americans, Matteo <laughs> Benetti and Marco Messina, who are the big superstars of Calcio e Cappuccino, That's happening every week on Paramount+. Plus. Now, Marco, last weekend on the show, you took a little umbrage, let's say, when Matteo said Italian teams aren't at the level of the top Premier League teams and the likes of PSG and Bayern. Do you care to elaborate on that, especially as it pertains to a Serie A team potentially winning the Champions League or maybe the Europa League?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think the easiest way to to trigger me and to get on my nerves is once they show me that clip. I I, I mean, like I saw red. There was there was no coming back from it. No, I, and listen, I, I understand um, Mateo, and usually I do agree. I, you know, I I agree that there is uh, a step that that a lot of the English teams are above, but I wouldn't say the thing that got me mad in the clip is saying the intensity is different between the leagues and that they can't compete. And, and I know, uh, I don't remember who said it, but that, that you know, Spanish teams and Italian teams can't compete. And then afterwards, this is this is one of the great things that I see in the comments, you know, Villarreal ended up beating Manchester United. So, you know, who can't compete? My, my point is that I saw this a lot. I've seen this a lot my whole life. Um, and, and especially this summer, where the same exact words were echoed about Italy who were not favorites. They were nowhere close to being favorites in the Euros. And then we saw that there's more to the game than just the intensity, and that football is is played on 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 and you know on the grass. They got 11 players, we got 11 players, and and I Marco, think that I think we're seeing a surprise. You know what? Marco, I wasn't Mar- going to say so, it before, but now I'm saying it. We're going to see a surprise this year.
2: Marco, so you agree with me is what you're saying? Like, well, there, there's no disagreement here.
3: So you and I, I don't think we disagreed. Uh, I disagreed with the
2: clip. Okay, thank you. So you agreed with me that if you rank, if you put the top five sides in Europe, five, yes. you don't have a city yes. outside there.
3: Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're
2: made, in agreement. All right, we can. No, end. <laughs> we're, in, we're
3: in agreement. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but also, K made yes. a very good point that um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to Jimmy, but all right, K made a very good point that Chelsea would not probably would not have been in the top five teams for us last year, and that just goes to prove that just because they're in the top five doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to win.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to me, the intensity, like on the national team level, because you made that point, right, with Italy yeah. against England, and it's a completely different thing. But on the club side, unfortunately, like we've seen it, the City A sides cannot even begin to spend as much as what we've seen yes. from PSG or the Premier League teams. So to me, there's, there is levels to this. And if you're ranking, doing a power ranking of the top teams in the Champions League, I don't have any Italian teams, unfortunately, because, you know, we want this as much as anyone else. We want to see a situation like in 2003 where you had Inter Juve Milan three of the four Champions League semifinalists all there from Italy like that would be a dream come true
3: good times and, and i know you know this the the match day one uh, did not start off on the on the best foot for our italian teams right juventus is the only team that that won uh, atalanta tied 2-2 to Villarreal. Uh, we know what happened between Milan and Liverpool, where Liverpool uh, were able to win the match. And then Real Madrid won zero against Inter. Um, you know, not the greatest in terms of, of the scoreline. You've obviously beat Malmo. So it's hard to really tell where, where that one's going to go. Is was their first win of the season. Atalanta, I thought Atalanta's result, considering that it was in Spain, was pretty good. Uh, you know, 2-2 two, two draw, and they're still missing Luis Muriel, who for me is one of the key pillars to that Yeah, and, and
2: Juan Musso made some spectacular saves as well to keep it just at a point. But the thing, I didn't really learn anything from Juventus. I feel like I learned maybe something from Milan where experience does matter in this. Like experience is something, it's one of those intangibles that you can't really measure with statistics, but it does matter because you could see the players when they got to Anfield, when you heard you'll never walk alone, it genuinely felt like, you know, they were, A bit frightened, like they didn't want the ball. It was like hot potato when they were passing out of the back. And I've never seen Milan that rattled in the Stefano Pioli era, really. I mean, I don't remember a team really even pressing them as much as Liverpool did in terms of the team effort and not letting Milan breathe. So, what I learned, I mean, it's not something that I learned for the first time, but it just reminded me that there are levels to this, and Milan in the end have a group of players that don't have Champions League experience and there will be growing pains. It's great that Milan are back, and it's even more amazing that every single match in their group stage, Atletico Madrid, Porto, and Liverpool, they're all great matches after waiting for eight seasons, but probably not going to get out of the Champions League group stage. And for me, as a lifelong Milanista, I'm totally fine with that because it's something to build on, right? And I think they'll finish top four again, and they'll continue to hopefully be able to attract better players with the finances that come in from being in Europe's top competition.
3: Overall, in the in the grand scheme of things, I agree with you that, you know, me. you know, you lose to Liverpool, I can accept it. I understand that's going to happen. The one that really left the most bitter taste in my mouth was the Inter match. Because if you watch the game,
2: they, oh, they deserved it. They absolutely deserved they it.
3: played against Real Madrid. They should have won. And we've seen it again. It's not the first time that they play against Real Madrid and don't get a result. And to me, Every time that they were not scoring as the game came on, I was like, this is gonna be typical Real Madrid, that they're gonna score a goal, they're gonna win, exactly they're gonna walk away. And <laughs> and it's it's exactly what happened. And to me, that was the most frustrating thing. You were in Italy, you were at your home, you needed, you needed to win, you needed to win that. And it hurts me. There's no more excuse. And I know the last two seasons with Inter and Champions League have not gone well. They keep getting knocked out of the group. You need to beat Shakhtar. You need to beat Shetty. Like there is no more excuses. I don't want to see any slip-ups from them.
2: Yeah, that that should be one where Inter, they'll finish second. It doesn't really matter if you, you know, first, second. It's all a lottery in the end, but – That's the sad thing, right, is that against uh, Fiorentina, Inter did not play well. They got dominated in possession, but against Real Madrid, which is a team that's going through their own struggles anyway, which is similar to the struggles that we've seen Barcelona go through with the finances and everything, but this isn't the Real Madrid of old that won La Decima and and all the other Champions League. So to get three points at home against Real Madrid, I think is a a great statement for uh, Simone Inzaghi and for an Inter side that... Or over the summer, Interisti, the fan base, was more pissed off than at any time that I can remember. They were so angry at the Chinese ownership. You got rid of our best player. You got rid of the symbol of the team. We just won the Scudetto. We've waited so long for this since Jose Mourinho's treble-winning season. And now you've dismantled our club. Slow down. It's fine. They're still going to be okay. I think they'll still win the Scudetto, them or someone else. But they'll be at the top. It's all good. So I've learned... And again, normally we learn five things, right? I feel like we've only learned one. Marco, come on, give us four more things that we learned. But I learned that Milan need a bit of experience and a bit of time. I learned that Inter are going to be okay. It's fine. And uh, don't really know about Juventus and Atalanta, but sometimes it's fine. You don't need to learn anything, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. And I, and I listen. I listened to Inzaghi's uh, interview where he said in the summer, nobody was talking about us. So I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for that one as well. Mateo, let me ask you, um, your surprise in Serie a, for you, who, who, who has it been? It can be an, a couple of names, but maybe maybe not, you know, Mateo, I know you're, you, you are you you Serie A genius. You know everything. not go that maybe, far. Maybe for the general fan, what's been the biggest surprise?
2: Well, th- I think the biggest surprise has been Fiorentina. Even if they lost against Inter, I thought they played them off the park for about two-thirds of that game. And it's Vincenzo Italiano, the manager that took over. That's the guy that saved Spezia. Absolute miracle. He gets new toys to work with and he does so well. Fiorentina haven't played like this since the early days of Vincenzo Montella. So it's great to see Fiore after these dark days back to a level where I think they can actually challenge for a European spot. What about you? Biggest surprise?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I thought Fiorentina come into the season. I'll be honest with you. I thought that they were going to do this. So just to be a little bit different. And by the way, Mateo and I have stolen this show. Kegolazzo is ours now. Because-
2: Jimmy's oh, internet crapped out yeah. on him. Yeah, how he's does that gone, happen Drew, in, that, in that incredibly state of the art studio? How does the internet go kaput?
3: Louise's Luis internet. So, Matteo, you and I were the only it's ones. Our the show, it's our show. It's our show. we do what we want with it. Where do you want to go? Let's
2: talk about Spazio. Let's talk about style. You, you take it wherever you want. It's our show now. Bye, Louise. Bye, Jimmy. Out that's the door it. you go.
3: It, it became Italian now. We're going to change uh, the, the. Predictions. The
2: logo. Predictions. Right. Yeah. We did the surprise. Wait, well,
3: I'll say, I'll say Sampdoria by the way too. Sampdoria okay. is another team that that surprised me. They had a tough schedule. They fought against Milan where they didn't get a result. They tied um against Inter, which was really good for them. They have their next match against Juventus. So I really want to see, but I didn't expect Sampdoria to start as well as they did considering their schedule.
2: And for those of you guys scoring at home, Mikael Damsgaard, the winger for Sampdoria, the guy who blew up at the Euros as well for the Danish national team, took over after Christian Eriksen Mm -hmm. had that heart issue. This is a guy that's going to make a move to a big team. So let's do rapid fire predictions, Marco. I want your top four. I want your bottom three.
3: Yeah. Okay. I haven't written down because it's 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 almost
2: changing too quick. <laughs> it just I it changed down. for I've me never... from the start of the show. I actually just changed my mind live <laughs> on that, you go first.
3: That's it. I'm not changing it from here. I got Inter winning the Scudetto, of yeah. course. I think it will be tight with AC Milan. I think that those are the two teams that fight for the league title. Um, I think in third, Juve end up picking it up and they they, they end up going there. And I have Napoli in fourth. And by the way, yes, I have changed since the start of the season. Uh, before the season started with Ronaldo, I had Juventus winning the league. That's been my big change. I always believed in Napoli, though. I think that Napoli had an underrated team. They got a fantastic coach with Luciano Spalletti. That's my top four. And bottom three, I mean, Salernitana and Venezia are going down. I know that. Uh, 99%. And then the last one between Spezia and, and Cagliari. You know, Spezia, the only reason mm-hmm. I had Spezia going down and Poly. I had Spezia going down. Then they showed some fight against Juventus, even though even Empoli gets points against Juventus. So I'll throw Spezia there.
2: Okay. I'm going to give you my top four. Ready for this? I think Napoli. I, I had Inter at the start of the show. Now I'm going to go Napoli. Win the Scudetto. No. Fan base goes no, delirious. No. Can you think of a fan base that would enjoy Scudetto more than Napolitani, though, than Napoli Bro, fans? They, they would. They, they the Honestly, league. it would make them happy for life. So I'm, I'm going to give it to them. Napoli win the Scudetto. Inter second. Milan third. Juve fourth, so that's my top four. Bottom of the table, I have Salernitana and Venezia. Sorry, Venezia, I love what you did with the kids. Love that you brought over two Americans, but Serie A is a tough old place to play. And then Spezia is going down as well. I think Cagliari saved themselves. I think Empoli maybe. But the thing that we were talking about, just really quickly, Marco, remember at start of the season, I gave you seven teams, seven that I would not be surprised at all if they went down to City A B, which I think shows that there's such a big gulf between the top half of the table and the bottom half.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, Mateo, Listen, I, I mean, we we we're, we stole the show. Now nobody else is here. I think I gotta. I, I have to give one last plug for them since we're taking over the show. Are you doing
2: the plug? I thought I was doing the plug. You want to do, pl- do, no, no, do, do the plug? You do the plug. Go go go. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave Golasso a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds and it helps us provide you with great free content like this. Also, subscribe to our page on YouTube on youtube.com slash KGalasso and hit the notification bell to catch all of our latest videos.
3: We'll alternate week in and week out since this is
2: our show. <laughs> you got to get that presenter voice going. <laughs> Dude, that is right. For, uh, for Jimmy and Louise, who had massive internet problems, Marco Messina, I'm Matteo Bonetti. This is Kegolasso. Ciao.